we've asked everybody, like we've asked some of the best riders in the world. We've had conversations with Richie Root about this. Dude, what's the one thing you'd want to be better at? Turning, turning, like without question, turning. Welcome to episode 16 of Trail Effect. I'm your host, Josh Plum. Trail Effect is a show that dives into stories behind trails, the communities that embrace trails, and the people who rely on trails as a way of life. The goal of this show is to turn the stories you will hear from our guests into useful knowledge that can be applied to your community while providing some entertaining and inspirational content. Guests on Trail Effect include trail builders, board members, community leaders, volunteers, and regular people who really enjoy trails. On today's show, we bring you Rich and Rob Drew. Collectively, we redefine the bike segment formerly known as Down Country to Trail Light. And we discuss how these modern short travel trail bikes are a really good option for many riders. Rich and Rob bring a wealth of knowledge in regards to suspension setup, rider positioning, skills development, and racing. I am sure even the most seasoned riders will learn something from this show. Support for Trail Effect comes from Smith's Bike Shop in La Crosse, Wisconsin. Smith's is a full-service bike shop that is a retailer for Trek Bicycle Company and Salsa Cycles. Smith's also has a full line of components and accessories from Bontrager and other various companies. For more information about Smith's Bike Shop, go to www.smithsbikes.com. A special thanks goes out to Ben Wellenack of Mountain Bike Radio for supporting this podcast and to the people who have shared their time and knowledge. Without this, we would not have these stories to tell. This podcast is an Evolution Trail Services production. For more information about Evolution Trail Services, go to www.evotrails.com. Here we are with Trail Effect with Rich and Rob Drew of the Ride Series Skills Clinics. Um, we are going to be here today talking about, we're going to talk about bikes and we're going to talk about skills. So how are you two doing? Doing very well. Awesome. I'm doing good. The snow's melting in Bentonville. So that's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, a currently, it's currently our season here in Phoenix. Yeah. Your season is good right now. So It is very good right now. So let's do a quick uh, intro for Rich first. Let's hear about you. And then at the same time, we do have another podcast that we can link a longer intro about Rich. Yeah, I am uh, 43 years old. I am a father of a pretty rad little dude named Dex, who's four and a half. Uh, my wife, Sarah, amazing woman who also rides here in Bentonville. So we live in the mountain bike capital of the world. And I'm a former professional enduro racer. I was a factory pivot rider. And now my focus is twofold. It's on the Ride Series MTB Skills Clinics, business that Rob and I started together and trying to do what we can to help the riding population get a little bit more confident and be safer when they're riding, all these people with the new bikes. And the other element of that is um, the, the media, the social media piece, kind of the advocacy piece, I guess. And, and that's through YouTube and, and Instagram and all that good stuff. So... I think that pretty much covers the uh, the good stuff. Let's hear about you, Rob. Let's get your backstory quick, and then we'll get into some good stuff about bikes and skills. Sure thing. Uh, Rob Drew, I am 49 years old. I'll be 50 in February. Um, current factory pivot enduro rider. Uh, this is my fourth year with pivot. I'm a two-time BME Masters champion, former pro motocross racer. Uh, and that, that really was, was most of my life, uh, was motocross, you know, early on, uh, I rode bicycles, you know, BMX, like, like a lot of guys 
in riches in my position did. But I always aspired to race motorcycles. And so as soon as I was able to get on a motorcycle, I, I never looked back toward bikes until uh, I, had a, I had a pretty good career racing motorcycles, a lot of fun. But like with, with many other guys, it ended in a, in a, in a career-ending injury. Uh, so at that point, I started my own business, which I still have today, uh, called Drew Brothers Customs. Rich used to work with me there. Uh, but when I turned 40 uh, with some nagging motocross injuries, uh, I was kind of a, a bit of a sloth and looking for a way to, to get a little bit more fit. And uh, somebody recommended that I jump on a mountain bike. And uh, I had opportunities to ride mountain bikes previously when I raced motocross. And it, it, it seemed like a complete misery to me. I had no interest. And for some reason, uh, being able to do it here in Phoenix, uh, there was a technical aspect that really appealed to me. The challenge of climbing. You know, initially, I got a downhill bike thinking that would be the thing for me. But I, I ended up putting a, a mountain cassette on my downhill bike and started riding it up the hill. And uh, so the climbing turned out to be the thing that, that I really enjoyed. And, and once my fitness came, it was just uh, no turning back. And uh, Rich and I, as Enduro grew, we, we talked about in 2016, we're going to go and race Enduro together because a lot of people were telling me out here, oh, you need to go race Enduro. And I was like, yeah, you know, my, my racing career is kind of over with. And so in, in 2015, I decided I'm not going to be that noob who shows up at the races and doesn't know which way to go or what to do. So I decided I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to slide in on 2015 under the radar so nobody knows who I am and just get the lay of the land and figure things out. And so my first race was at Aspen, and that was the 2015 BME. And uh, it was a two-day race, and I, I came out of day one, I think, in like 12th place. And uh, stage by stage, I just started, just started consistently taking time away from the leaders and you could see the stress building. D. Tidwell at the time was the defending champion. And I, it took to the last stage to, to run him down, but I did and won the first round and subsequently won the championship that year. So it was, it was a kind of a Cinderella story. I really enjoyed it. And then was able to come back in 2016 and, and back it up again. So I knew it was going to happen. I called it, dude. I called it. I knew when he went, he was going to win. It's because he's smart. <laughs> he knows how to race. Yeah, well, that racecraft was so key, you know, bringing some strategy to the game. You, you know, you don't have to be the fastest guy. You just got to be the guy who keeps air in his tires and rides fast enough. And if you can throw in a little bit of psychology and start getting in the heads of the other guys and watch them just fumble, they just give it away. It's, it's awesome. So much for flying it under the radar, huh? Exactly. Yeah. So after that, uh, kind of people knew who I was and uh, and it's it's just been fantastic. I've had such a such a tremendous time on the bike and uh, so much opportunity that I never would have seen coming. I just, I just really was kind of blindsided by it. And then uh, just like Rich, you know, he was in, at the time in Dallas riding bikes a lot. We both, I think, were better than average. And so a lot of people would come to us and say, hey, how do you, how do, you do this and how do you do that? And so while he's getting these questions in Dallas, I'm getting them in Phoenix. And he says to me one day, hey, what do you think about, you know, putting something together where we teach people how to do this. And uh, so we started looking at, you know, whose, whose training system could we just franchise, you know, just, just, you know, gets, yeah, gets certified by somebody at Joe Blow's bicycle training and, and go and do that. And so we started looking through curriculums and at the same time, we, we started looking inward to see, well, what could we do to improve our own riding? 
And what are the things that we think are the most valuable to us? And so two things happened. Number one, we, we didn't agree with any of the curriculum that we could see out there. We couldn't get behind any of it. We thought that we could do something better. And so uh, in looking at some of the things that we thought were most important, they weren't high risk things. They were things like breaking and cornering. You know, if you look at any enduro stage, you're not going to win it hucking the big, you know, jump to flat. You're going to win it in the corners. And picking up a second a corner is not an unreasonable ask. Uh, even the fastest guys can go faster through the corners, and that's where you win. And it's not sexy. You know, it doesn't get the glory usually during the race. You're not going to get guys wanting to take pictures of you coming through the corner usually. But, I mean, that's, that's where the race is won. And that's also the way that you can excel in, without killing yourself. Yeah, that's all super important. And we'll get into that as we get into the skill side of things, which is which is going to be a really good segment here. Um, but we're going to kick it off with uh, modern XC bikes, uh, both from a geometry standpoint and a suspension standpoint. This is a question that I get from people locally quite a bit here in La Crosse, Wisconsin, um, because for some, it's, it's a new segment. You know, we were talking before we got this started that Pivot had the 49 and then the Trail 49 years ago. And then I believe like Kona, they had a process 111, you know, and there's been some brands that have kind of flirted with this modern XC and pink bike calls it down country, but basically bikes that can are capable going down in many situations. I'm not going to say all situations, but in a lot of situations, but also climb well going up. And I think this year, especially 2020 and 2021, we have a bumper crop of bikes to choose from. You know, and so we're going to go into Rich first. And he's a lot of the stuff that Rich does, you know, we're going to link to his YouTube videos and that, but he does a lot of bike breakdowns and as far as like testing and, and impressions of how he feels on different bikes. And there's a couple of bikes that caught my attention, which are the uh, Specialized Epic Evo and then the Transition Spur. And you may have had some other bikes in there too that you can throw in the mix, but the those Django, are two probably. bikes. Yeah, those are two bikes that I think people are looking at these days. So, what do you, uh, what are your thoughts on this category and and where bikes are going with this type of stuff? And then those those two bikes specifically. You know, it, name aside, I love it. <laughs> the category is great. The name, I don't know, down country. It just, I feel funny saying it, Josh. I do, but there's a lot so of cool bikes. Lie. I know. I call just, a light trail or something. Light trail, trail light, trail light. There you go. Trail light, like yeah. natty light, trail yeah. light. Yeah. Um, I dig it. You know, I, I think it makes sense in a lot of situations. I think the majority of people, by a percentage, could make good use of you know down country trail light bikes. And you, know, you talked about a couple of them: the Specialized Epic Evo the transition spur and I'll throw in the Da Vinci Django because I have a lot of time on all three of those bikes. And where I'm at here in Northwest Arkansas, those bikes are plenty capable for the majority of the trail in this situ in this area and these surroundings. So I think that they serve a very good purpose because if it's somebody who wants to do big miles, you can do big miles on those bikes. They're they're fairly too very efficient in my experience, but they're also fun. Like here, you could do a big cross country ride, but in the midst of that, you could have a pretty rad jump line, and you're not worried about, oh man, what am I going to be able to do here? Um, do I have to go around this or do I have to hit it very low key? You can just you can come in and shred it. 
And so it's exciting. I think it's, it's frustrating sometimes because there are so many options. And in any other year where it was a buyer's market, um, people would have a very difficult time choosing from all of these awesome bikes in that category. Yeah, now it's pretty much whatever you can get because there's just nothing available. Yeah, that's that's that, that's that's been a weird thing this year. You know, I've I had a 2020 Trek Top Fuel. Um, I recently sold it, and I was able to get my hands on a 2021 Trek Top Fuel just because I happened to be really close to the local Trek dealer, and the owner said order it this week. Yeah, and I ordered it that week, and it showed up. And had I waited a week and drug my feet like some people try to do. I might get it in February, March, or April. Yeah, right yeah, now you yeah. cannot stand on you can't stand on a deal. If there's something out there you can get, you got to grab it. Yeah, that's another message for listeners out there. If you're thinking about buying a bike, just order buy the it. bike. Yeah, buy the bike because yeah. even if you decide you don't like it, you can probably sell it and make money. For sure, it's crazy that that's true, but it it really is. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so so let's hear about this. Uh, do you want to lead off with the Evo or the uh, Spur? I'll tell you what. No, I want to lead off with another bike that I called Gray Matter. Let's go back to 2017, dude. And Rob's Rob's shaking his head because 2017, uh, we showed up at the first round of the Southern Enduro Tour down in Comfort, Texas. Okay, I'm I'm rocking the number one plate and I have two bikes. Riding for Giant at the time. I had the Trance, which of course, everybody's thinking I'm going to ride that. And the second bike, of course, is the Rain because it's Enduro. No, it's not. The second bike is the Anthem Advanced SX. Well, hang on. You, what you have to preface is, and you're doing it now in Bentonville, but this was something, that was the first time I saw you do it was, what's the cheapest bike you have? Give me the cheap spec. I want to ride the bike that's affordable, that, that the people who are going to be out of the trail could afford to buy. And let's see how that thing does. Yeah. Let's see if I can just murder it. And I was very skeptical. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a man of the people. I'm a man of the people. <laughs> Um, but this bike is 27.5, 110 rear, 130 front. And it, it was a very capable bike, you know, super deluxe rear shock pike up front. And the geometry was awesome. You know, it was a 67.5 head angle, which that's not super slack by any means, dude, but I, I dug it. And it was a great bike because it was just capable enough for the rough stuff, which relatively speaking, wasn't super rough. And then you get onto cross country and you're pedaling like a mad person. And that bike was great for that. And I loved that bike. And it was funny because when I decided to ride it, everybody there was saying, dude, you can't ride this bike. You can't. And I won multiple races on that bike and I reverted back to it a lot. And I've always been a fan of smaller bikes. You know, the majority of my riding has been in Dallas, all throughout Texas. And now into Arkansas, and you could argue there's one thing missing in those places, and that's a mountain. So the need for a big bike never really was there. And so now this year, with all these bikes coming out, I was really excited. And the Django was the first one I got. Uh, so 120, 140, you know, a little bit bigger, but just a rad bike, like super capable, uh, really poppy, and I could jump it really well. Um, I, I rode a medium on that one, so it was a little bit more compact. But you got to hit the three P's, dude. Playful, planted, poppy. You got to get them all in. Planted, pop. Sorry, <laughs> I forgot about that. I'm getting the lingo down. Um, it's just it was a great bike. I, I really liked it. It was very fun for everything here. I could go do a 40 mile ride 
and you know BXC style, or I could go take it down to the jump line right down the street and just hit that over and over and over again. And so I was really excited about that. And then kind of move into later in the year, the Epic Evo comes out and I'd heard about that bike coming. And man, when it hit, like all the videos of Curtis Keene and Spencer Rathcamp and uh, all these people just out, just... Cody Kelly. Cody, everybody on that bike. Jimmy Smith flinging it. Jimmy Smith. I can't wait to, to get one. And it was funny because the first one I got to ride was the S-Works version. All $11,500 of its glory. And dude, I couldn't believe how light it was. It was so light. And I, I rode it a couple times and it was not the most enjoyable thing because I was freaked out at how light it was. I just wasn't used to that. That Da Vinci, dude, I had two five acid guys on that thing. Like It was a, a pretty meaty bike, upper 20s. Dude, this thing was a featherweight. And so it wasn't until I got mine, which was a mid-level spec, was the expert version. And I rode it around here a little bit. And then we went to Breckenridge to film like the first impression with it. And it was funny because I talked to a couple of people and they're like, yeah, dude, take that fast track off the rear. You know, it's an XC tire, lightweight casing. You don't need that thing. Put something a little bit better. And one thing led to another and we're getting ready to ride. And I realized, oh, dude, I never changed that tire. Like this thing is completely stock. And so we hook up with this local dude and uh, he's on a Ripmo. And I'm like, hey, man, let's, you know, just back it down a little bit. You know, I just want to kind of get a feel for this thing. And we drop into this trail called Baker's Tank in Breckenridge. And this guy's wide open, dude, just ripping. And I remember thinking, oh, whatever, cool. This is going to be over quick. I'm going to lock in on a six and we're going to get about 200 yards and I'm going to blow up the rear tire. And that's that. No problem. And we just kept going. And the harder I rode, the more fun I was having. And it was cool because I had the POV. Um, I had my buddy Garrett following me. And you can just hear me, dude, like unbridled joy. Just, yeah, woo, just bouncing across the trail. And when I played it back, listening to it, the audio is great. Because what you hear is how much my tires aren't on the ground. I'm just bouncing and popping all over the place. So yes, playful, planted, and poppy indeed. And it was fun. I had, I had a blast, dude. I, I really liked that bike. It performed very well. And I remember riding all the way down to the bottom and then realizing my van is back to the, at the top. And dude, I locked the suspension out and time trialed back up the mountain to get my van. And it was incredible. Like The bike worked really well. So... Yeah, I was impressed, man. And I thought, this is it. Like, this is talk about a broad use case. Like, you can do everything with this bike. Well, then I got on a transition spur and it was, it was incredible. I thought, holy crap, just looking at it. Yeah, it, it looks good. Yeah, that's a good looking bike. It's one of the best looking bikes I've ever seen. Um, a student came through the, uh, a skills clinic and I said, dude, let me just cruise that thing around. And I rode around on it. And it, it felt different. Um, it didn't feel at all like a cross-country bike. It felt like a trail bike. And the Epic Evo, it feels more like an aggressive cross-country bike. Like you're in that position. Now, if I put some riser bars on it, I think that would make a big difference. But bone stock, right out of the box, this spur was just like a big BMX bike with suspension. And well, in defense I'm, of the in defense of the specialized, I don't think you would race a spur in an XC race. 
I don't think that's anywhere in its in its intended intended use. No, no, and I think what it speaks to is they're basically the same numbers wise. Like as far as travel, they're very different bikes. If if I was a cross country person at heart, it would be the Epic Evo without a doubt. But if I was more of a trail rider and didn't wasn't concerned about big cross country rides, I could certainly do them on the spur. Um, but again. The numbers, the numbers don't, and I think the spec plays into it too. Like, dude, the Trail Four Two Nine. Oh, <laughs> totally forgot about that. I had a Trail Four Two Nine as well. <laughs> um, the Trail Four Two Nine was a great bike, but it was very hard for me to ride because of the the Fox Thirty Four. That one thirty thirty four would go wherever it wanted to go. So if I loaded it up, it would deflect one way or the other. Yeah, the enduro build. That that VPX two and the and the Fox thirty six were a game changer. But again, that bike is a perfect example of you would never race cross country on that bike. I no, mean, that, that's a very would. heavy. That's a very heavy small bike. But that's what's crazy is pick up this spur. Like my wife picked it up. It's a size large, and her words were, "Holy crap, this thing is light." And she got on and rode it around and thought, "Oh my god, this is amazing. This thing's like a rocket ship." So yeah, it's. The capability that it has, I think, especially in the right hands, is just, it defies logic. It really does. That's the best way I can describe it. So correct me if I'm wrong. I may have seen either on your Facebook feed or your Instagram feed, you did at some point change the tires on these bikes, or at least that Epic, to more of an Enduro-ish tire? Uh, no, actually, I, I thought about it, but then I said, no, what's, what's the least I can do? So I took the fast track off the rear mm-hmm. and put a grid on the back. So it has a grid up front with a control casing and I put a grid with a trail casing out back. So a pretty decent two, three trail tire. And dude, here was the game changer. I put XC Cushcore inserts in it. And dude, that's, it's very, it's improved that bike for me dramatically. And it's funny because I've never been a weight guy. I'm like, whatever, just ride it and have fun. I noticed right away, it definitely changed how poppy that bike was, how snappy it was. But now it just makes it way more rideable. Because here, there's a lot of loose over hard, larger yeah. gravel. I mean, you've experienced that. Yep. So when you're riding with true XC tires, it's fast, but it's just not as comfortable. So doing that to that bike obviously has made it a little bit heavier, but it has really expanded the capability and the confidence for me personally. It's brought it much closer to that spur. Like a prime example is I, I have pictures and video of hitting Masterpiece over and over again. Um, I tried to hit that wall ride on that Evo in completely stock trim and almost killed myself. It just, it was, it just, the bike was like, whoa, dude, what are you doing, bro? XC tire on the rear. I made that change and now, I mean, I'm getting higher than I ever have on that thing and hitting jumps and just, it's fun. It's a lot more like a, a larger BMX bike now, but it's just crazy that that, that difference, uh, it's, you know, small changes can make a big impact on the perceived and realized capability of a bike like that. So we also have, uh, what's known as the, uh, or who's known as the better Drew brother with us. That's right. <laughs> Mr. Rob Drew. And Rob, you have a lot of experience with Pivot. Let's hear how you've kind of at first 
maybe weren't too keen on the 429, the trail 429, and then took to it and, and your experience there and, and just across the board, you know, just this segment. Yeah. So, so pivot was one of the earlier arrivals to that segment of bikes with the, with the 429 trail, which was the predecessor to the trail 429. And that bike was, I think one fifteen in the rear and 16, one sixteen in the rear and one twenty in the front, I think. Um, so it was nothing that I ever even looked at. I, it, it was kind of beneath me, I thought. But when I talked to some of the guys like Mason Bond, who rode for the, the Reynolds Pivot Enduro team, th- those guys loved that bike. They all had one and they all said that it was one of their favorites, even though you never saw them race it. But when they were riding for fun, that was the bike they rode. And it always surprised me. And uh, when the Trail 429 came out, even still, I, I had no interest in that as, as a bike in my uh, quiver. But um, when they came out with the Enduro build, I was just recovering from an injury. And I decided, you know, I don't wanna, I'm going to scoop up one of these bikes because it's a limited build and they'll probably be, probably be a good investment. I'll get a lot of money on the back end. And so I bought one. I bought the, the Battleship Gray one. And the first few times I rode it, uh, I, I'm a guy who rides with a lot of sag. So I like the bike sitting pretty deep in the travel. And I would just smash to the bottom on that bike. And, and I just figured this is what I thought. It's not enough for me. I can't handle it. And uh, I ended up connecting with my buddy Alex in Sedona, who's a, a Fox test rider. He basically told me, you know, you, you can't run these things with that little pressure. This shock likes to be you know, your weight plus 20, 30 pounds, which was shocking to me. And, uh, so I did what he said and, and it was unbelievable. Like the harder I rode that thing, the more it liked it. You just, you could just beat it and beat it and beat it. And, uh, especially, you know, the trails are rugged out here. So it's not, it's not necessarily an ideal place for that segment of bike, but when you know the trail and you can put the bike where you need it to be, it's unbelievable how fun that bike was and and i would say even now with with everything that's come out uh that would be the bike you know if i had them all lined up and i was going to ride my local trails that'd be the bike i'd grab that thing was just it was always just such a treat to ride so what did they do with the enduro build versus their standard 429 trail what did they add to it or change on it well they add the the biggest thing was the dpx2 shock so they didn't change anything with the travel but they put that shock it was a special tune from fox for pivot like you couldn't you couldn't go to fox and buy that shock to up upfit your current bike you had to get one of these limited builds so between the 36 grip two fork uh they they raised the travel up to 140 and that shock the thing was just legit yeah it's i can attest to having a regular build and then going out to phoenix and riding his build i mean rob saw me ride it i mean i left the trail in ruins it was a big difference, just that shock and that fork, the the performance, the capability of the bike. It opened it up to a much larger window of capability and God, it was so fun. Yeah, I've gone back and just recently looked through some videos, some, some jump videos I have on that bike and I just can't believe what that thing was able to handle. And it looks, I remember how smooth it was. I can tell watching the videos how smooth it was. It's a really good bike. So you've talked a little bit about suspension before we get on to our next segment. Let's talk just in general for people to kind of give them an idea of how their suspension should be set up. Um, you talked about how you, you were blowing through 
the travel pretty quickly. I know one one of the things I noticed when I moved on from a hardtail to the truck top fuel is I had to increase one of the volume spacers because I was doing mm-hmm. the same thing where I was it felt good, but I could just tell I was bottoming it out too easily. You know, so I yeah. bumped up to the next size volume spacer and was able to keep pretty much the same air pressure and and that really changed stuff for me. Let's kind of give the listeners, you know, just some tips on suspension quick before we move on to some other stuff here. So the first thing I'll I'll preface with is a lot of it has to do with opinion. People are unique. People like certain things and other people, you know, might not like those things. My my personal preference is as little damping as possible, as little pressure in the shock as possible. So the idea there is you're going to, you've got to have sag. That's the first thing people need to understand is the bike can't be topped out. It's got to sit down so it has top out travel and compression travel. Uh, there's there's some latitude as far as the exact number that has to be, whether it's 25% or 30% or 35%. Uh, i have always been a fan of 30%. But the key, you, you want to start with your sag. And when you get the sag set at a certain pressure and you go ride the bike, if it's bottoming, for that ride, you can correct that problem by adding compression damping to, to slow it down through the travel. But you don't want to run it that way because that's like that's like choking the air from coming in your lungs. You don't want to restrict it. You want to let it work. And, and if it's bottoming, you need ramp. Like you said, you need to add a volume spacer to get the pressure internally to increase quicker and create more resistance. Uh, one thing I describe to people, uh, if you take two speakers and you put a magnet to magnet, you know, the pressure that the, the pressure of resistance will linearly increase until you can't push them together anymore, but you won't feel it level up. You know, you won't feel the increase. It's just fluid. And if your suspension is set properly, that's how it's going to feel. And so that's that's the place you want to get to. And the question is, how do you get there? Uh, most suspension is going to come over damp, both on rebound and compression. And, and those are safe settings. Uh, I like to try to open that stuff up and let the stuff move. And my experience has been, especially with Fox, it's it's literally wide open. You know, I, I'll open my stuff all the way up and go one click in. They always advise you don't have it on open or all the way closed. So open it up, one click in. And that's that's my starting point. I, mean, I don't necessarily recommend that for people. One thing to consider on the rebound side the faster you go, the faster your rebound has to be because as you're hitting bumps in succession at a high rate of speed, your stuff needs to recover quickly to be there for the next bump. And if it's not, that's called packing. And that'll put you in a bad position. Pretty soon you don't have any more travel and you're still hitting bumps and that energy's got to go somewhere. And here's a little addition to that is for that to work properly or for you to gauge whether it's working properly or not, your body position has to be proper. If your weight is behind the rear of the bike, you can't tell if your your rebound setting is correct or not. Yeah, that's the that's you you want to preface everything with the bike is built to be ridden a certain way. And if you're sitting on the handlebars backwards, it's probably not going to work right because that's not what it's made for. If you're hanging over the back wheel, your forks are are there to do about 70% of the work in my opinion. And so if you're hanging off the back of the bike, your forks aren't doing anything. And, and the shock's just not built for that. So uh, a lot of things are going to go sideways on you. And, and that's, you know, kind of mixing that in with, with rider training. These are the types of things that we saw in some of the recommendations from other people. You know, get, get behind, get, you know, get, get back, get back. 
all these things that are are instructions to create doom for for the person who's who's the student and uh you know nothing about the bike is made to function that way and and so uh now rob let me just ask this let me play devil's advocate here dude why should anybody listening to you right now trust you like where does that knowledge come from i hear a lot of different things about experts why do i listen to you well <laughs> You certainly don't have to listen to me, but I, I, I think I, I, listen I, to you. I think I have more experience than the average guy who's out there riding a mountain bike on the trail. Where did uh, that my, my first my first job out of high school was working at a place called Worst Performance Suspension, and what I did at Worst Performance Suspension was I built shocks. Uh, I I tuned for factory teams, and I had a lot of hands on experience about the internals, how these things work. Uh, how they function. And so I know what's happening inside there. And, uh, you know, when, when I turn a clicker, I know what it's doing. And, you know, I, I, you don't have to listen to me, but, but I, yeah, I've got some experience uh, <laughs> with regard to that. Well, I just, I, that's, that's what I wanted to pull out of you yeah. is I'm okay telling people I am by no means a suspension expert, but I've spent my whole life basically around one. And so my riding life, I'll say. And so having that has been a big advantage for me. And it's just funny because Rob's a great rider, but he's also very versed in how it works. And it, it helps to be both. Like if you're incredibly versed on suspension, but you don't ride well, th that's kind of difficult because what I'll tell you is, dude, if you can't go as fast as me, how can you tell me how it should be? Well, and that was always a benefit for me. If I'm working with somebody and, and, and it's not working for some reason, in that circumstance where they say, well, let's see you do it, I can do it. You know, So you need to pick somebody you trust if they're going to work on your suspension. But at the same time, if that person can't get on the bike and ride it, if they're not better than you, you know, maybe, maybe the setup that works for them won't work for you. And so that's something that, uh, that needs to be considered too. I'm not telling you that my way is the way for you, but I know why my stuff is the way it is. And, and I know, I know how it needs to be. And I think 90% of the people out there don't, uh, and will it work for them? Yeah. I mean, they, they can ride the bike, the suspension goes up and down, but are they getting the most out of it? Is it, an, is it advantageous to them? That's the question. I'm the prime example for that. I'm okay. Yeah. Cole, Cole Trickle here can ride anything. <laughs> You know, oh, there's supposed to be air in the shock, whatever. They told me to ride the bike. I ride it. I'll ride it. Whatever. What's, <laughs> what's your air pressure? What? what are you talking about? Air? There's air in that thing? I thought it was an elastomer, dude. I just run it. Yeah. So you, you touched on something before we go on to, on to skills, which was body positioning. And what have you noticed with the newer bikes? And either of you two can answer this. So one of the big themes that we always hear is longer, lower, slacker. And where I'm going here isn't necessarily lower slacker, it's longer. And that is that, have you noticed this? I, I have noticed this, but with, the, with this new crop of bikes, you can actually ride the center. You can be centered over the bike better than you previously could be. Is that something that you guys would agree with? Yeah, well, if you think about, uh, picture a triangle, you know, if it's narrow, it's not stable. If it's wide, it is stable. As the bikes get longer, your influence on the bike front to back becomes less consequential. You have more room, you have more latitude. It becomes harder to go over the bars, it becomes harder to loop out. 
So those, a lot of those things are good things, but like everything, you know, there becomes a, a point of diminishing returns and, you know, 63 degree head angle to me, I've got no use for that. That bike better come with an angle set so that I can take a degree and a half out of it because <laughs> I like to turn. Yeah. What do you got there, Rich, on that? Yeah. I, I you know, Rob, I, I think the triangle analogy is the best and you have more room to work with, but you have to start from the center. And it's funny because at the ride series, we see a lot of people, especially older riders, um, way back, like they're used to having a hundred mil stem on a super short wheelbase bike with a high post. And so anything at all starts to point down or get hairy, it's hips are shooting way, way back. And so for those people, it's trying to kind of reprogram what they know, what their baseline is to take advantage of what that bike's doing. And it's just funny because I kind of bring it back to sizing. Like people, people talk about what bike size should I be on? And I look at it two ways. I would rather shorten up a longer bike, relatively speaking, than lengthen a shorter bike. And I think that's the safer, that's the safer way to come into it. If yeah. you're on the fence, it's safer to get the bigger bike. It's usually more fun on the smaller bike. <laughs> well, it is. And and I think it comes back to that you have to understand that geometry and the benefits. Like I remember when 175 millimeter cranks were the only way. I mean, dude, I had 175s when I was 11, 12 years old racing BMX. Now I have bikes in my garage that have 165s. And there's no other choice because the bottom bracket's so low, it'll strike everything. Um, the head angles, I'm with Rob. Like I rode a new uh, stump jumper Evo and I got on an S4, which is just a huge bike. And I had it in the high, steep setting. And I thought to myself, I can't imagine, like, I don't even want to put the bike in the 63 degree head angle to see what it's like because it makes no sense at all. But there's people that are like, oh, dude, I can't wait to ride it in 63 degrees here in Arkansas. I'm like, dude, that doesn't make any sense. Like, you, you're not going to be able to turn the bike. So, yeah, it's, it's funny because it's weird. It's like this, this crazy paradigm shift where now you have so many new people riding bikes. This is all they know. And I'm in the back of my mind laughing like, I wish you could ride my first cross-country bike. Because you just you'd look at these people going, what am I on? What is this archaic thing? What are these multiple rings up front? Like every once in a while, you still see somebody with a front derailleur and it's just like, oh my God, I didn't even know they made those. It was only five years ago that I was actually on a small hardtail with a hundred millimeter stem. Unbelievable. And I was like, man, and I'd see pictures of myself. I'm like, man, that bike is really small under me. I got to get a medium. <laughs> 2015, I was running an 80 mil on my, on my Niner WFO. Yeah. Wide effing open. Yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. The sizing it's in, in the, you know, the long, low slack thing. It's funny because, uh, now I think, I don't know if it's, if things are kind of evening out, it was like shorter chain stays, shorter chain stays, shorter chain stays. Now all of a sudden it's starting to, the pendulum swinging back a little bit where it's like, eh, maybe they don't need to be that short. Yeah. The new switch blade, they actually got a little longer. Yeah. And now they're talking size specific chain stay length. So I think I think it's interesting. Uh, you know, I, I don't know enough from an engineering perspective to really weigh in on it. I can ride it and I can tell you like Fazari is a prime example. I rode a LaSalle Peak at the beginning of the year at the Sedona Mountain Bike Festival. 
And I walked up and looked at that bike and I was just taken aback because it had the steepest seat tube I'd ever seen. And it was incredibly slack for me. And I came off the Django and hopped on this bike with a 35 mil stem. And I felt like the handlebars were in my lap. And it was funny because we went out and ro- rode. And after probably 30 minutes, Rob literally told me, Hey, dude, you need to get off that bike, man. You're going to kill yourself. <laughs> and it was funny because I came back and, and they said, You know, what did you think? And I just said, I, I couldn't acclimate to it. Like, I just, I need more time. And they sent me a Delano Peak earlier this year. And it wasn't quite as steep seat tube and it wasn't as slack. And I understood it a little bit more. I had more time to acclimate to it and I put a little longer stem on it. That's one of my favorite bikes ever. Yeah, that, I crazy. think that looks like a better bike though. Oh, dude, it, yeah. It looks different. It does. It does look different. And I think it's one of those things where, you know, a half degree too much as regard in like slack uh, and then seat tube angle, that, that can really play games with you very quickly. And I think that's an important piece is everybody looks at numbers, numbers, numbers. And what I try to tell people is you got to ride. You got to ride the bike. Like the numbers will give you an idea, but you can't base it all on the numbers because sometimes they just, they defy what you feel. Well, looking at some of the new bikes coming out, I was noticing that a lot of brands now are are focusing so much on proportion, like you said, Rich. So uh, smalls and mediums are coming 27.5. All the dimensions are proportionate to that wheel size. And then large, extra large, they're 29. Uh, or I don't know if you guys have seen the Bolt. Uh, that's the bike with the shock inside yeah. it. Uh, I, I saw it recently on Instagram. It's, it's, it's really amazing. It's, uh, I think it's made in Sweden. Anyway, that bike is compatible to 27.5 and 29. And it's got a flip chip. Uh, there's an adjustment in the head tube and also in the dropouts, they've got flip chips. So you can shorten the chain stays for the, for the smaller wheels. And I thought that was pretty slick how they can, they can, you know, pivots bikes will take 20, you can put 27 fives on a firebird if you want, but the bike's optimized for 29 inch wheels. So it doesn't really make sense to do it, but you can't change the bike to fit those smaller wheels. If you could do that, that, that would make uh, do, uh, that would give you more justification to do it and and be able to maximize it. So wait a minute, are you, and I'm sure more companies will do that. Did I? If I heard you correctly, you said 27.5 isn't dead. Is that what you're saying? Not as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> that might be another podcast. <laughs> yeah, I'm a, I'm a fan of I'm a fan of those wheels. There's a handful of new bikes that have came out even in the last week or two that are 27.5s. Yeah, the the brand new the the brand new Mach Six. Uh, I got to spend a lot of time riding that bike. Uh, unfortunately, I couldn't I couldn't buy one because the demand is too great. But I I got to ride one for quite a while uh, leading up to the launch. And I mean, it's all of the all of the buzz items. You know, all of the all of the factors that you're looking for: low, long, slack, all those things it has. Uh, you know, it comes spec with a coil and a 38, you know, it's a, it's a super legit park worthy enduro bike, uh, just with small wheels. Well, let's transition out of bikes and into skills. We we've talked a lot about body position and whatnot. And the big thing you guys do is, is the ride series. So why don't you, uh, give a, a give a backstory in the ride series, how it came about. And well, Rob already talked about that a little bit, but how the ride series came about and what you guys are really focusing on in your goals with the ride series and what people can really benefit from with the ride series. 
Yeah, Rob touched on it a little bit. And I think the genesis was he and I both ascending pretty quickly when we started riding. And it made sense because we had a long history on two wheels. We were very we were very well established with a baseline of skills. We knew how to ride. The fitness piece was what we lacked. And once we got that fitness, we were able to do very well. And I think part of it too is being older, coming to this game, we were able to talk to people and explain to them, we've been riding a long time and we're pretty good on bikes. The fitness piece, you can go get fitness. It's out there for everybody. The skills piece is a little bit different. You know, if you didn't have the background that we did, if you didn't race BMX, race motocross, and you just start riding, so many people say, just go out and ride, you'll get better. Well, if you're doing things wrong, which there is a wrong, you'll get better at doing them wrong. And so for us, it was just try to help people as best we could. And it was look inward, as Rob said, what do we want to get better with? It's not rocket science. Like you're riding bikes. It's, there's a lot of nuance to it. The faster you get, the more finite the gains are. But it's like the alphabet, dude. You got to go from A to Z. And there's no magic potion. Um, there's no shortcuts, I don't think. And so what we did was we tried to provide a platform or an environment that people could focus on what they needed to focus on. So our ground school approach, I think, was a little bit different. Uh, a lot of people, they'll bring groups to a trail and take them to the trail to do different things. And you have to deal with the scenarios and the settings on the trail. We just kept building this ground school. We wanted this environment where we could remove impediments and try to showcase the technique, get them to drill the technique over and over. And then we brought in some video to try to substantiate it even more. So another thing that you need to know, Josh, is uh, so I own a business. Uh, I've I've been an employer of people for over twenty years, and if if you've ever employed somebody, you know you need to try to find a way to get them to do what you need them to do. It's imperative, or else you can't succeed. Uh, so I had a lot of experience talking with people and trying to figure out uh, how individuals needed to be told, because you can't. The same thing doesn't work with two different people necessarily. Everybody's kind of their own person. So I had that experience and Rich was, his job was uh, as, a, as a representative for Ford to go into a dealership where the staff was asked to come in on a day off and convey information to them. And they had to get it because he was basically graded on whether or not they got the information. So finding a way to be engaging, to, to get people to want to listen to him, that's what he did for 10 years. So there's plenty of guys out there who are, who are good enough writers. And there's a lot of guys who are better than us who may be doing this too, but they don't have that experience. And that's, that's the thing that makes the difference. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. You've got to get him to want to. And, and you can't underestimate the value of that component. So I just wanted to point that out. Yes. Yeah. And I was actually going to go there at the Ford Motor Company thing too, because that was something Rich and I talked about in the in the previous podcast we we recorded, which is super important, you know, and to be in front of people daily, convincing them what they need to know about maybe that brand new F one fifty that just came out. Well, what's crazy is I can't think of another circumstance where two different people had such relevant experience leading up to an opportunity that presented itself, and it it wasn't something we necessarily set out to do. It wasn't something we necessarily aspired to do. It just 
the opportunity kept coming mm-hmm. to us. People kept saying, hey, can you show me this? Can you work with me on this? And and it was just a matter of time. We had to we had to deal with it. And, uh, you know, I I I worked pretty hard on the curriculum in the beginning, but I have a business to run. And so I haven't been able to spend as much time as Rich has been able to. And I've been I've been you know, we recently did some clinics out here in Phoenix and the the growth of uh, and the development of the product is just so fantastic. It makes me so proud to look back at the videos we shot that weekend because what we're the value that we're giving to people, it doesn't exist out there anywhere else. And that's that's another component is if you're asking somebody to come and pay money. One aspect of it is you need to entertain them, you need to give them a good value. And uh, so a few things you don't want to do is you don't, number one, you don't want to hurt them. Uh, you want to give them something they can take with them and, and, and realize the value of long after they've left. And they've got to enjoy themselves. You know, it's got to be fun because people, there's a lot of things people can go spend their money on. There's a lot of things they can do. And, and so to ask them to come and spend money to, to kind of work uh, and and to be in that awkward, you know, it's 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 not fun doing something you're not good at. It's frustrating. It's aggravating. And so finding a way to to help them through those things, uh, where they can actually enjoy themselves and then come away feeling like it was worth it, that's critical to us. Yeah. So let's talk about some of your clinics. What are your core clinics, or what can somebody expect when they sign up for the ride series, whether it's in Bentonville or Phoenix or maybe some of the other places you might be traveling to in the future? Yeah, I think first and foremost, I I think you can expect that you're going to have an incredible time. You're going to get a lot of information and the hope is that you can take that information, you can take that day and keep it with you for a long time. I joke with people, I tell them, "I'm sorry, but my voice is going to be in your head for a long long time." You're not paying for that one day. You're paying for hopefully a lifetime of progression on the bike. And it's funny because we just had one clinic for the longest time. Our thought was, I mean, dude, everybody can make use of this. And we had brand new riders and we had some pro level riders. More recently, especially this year, we've kind of extrapolated it a little bit. And we have a 101, which is for newer riders. I mean, we talk about how to shift how to use that thing called a dropper post. And we just we never thought about that in the beginning because we made the assumption that people just understand that. So we have the 101, we have the 201, um, which is more geared for the majority of people. Uh, and then we have a 301 and a jump clinic. And so the, the 301 goes a little bit more in depth on lifts, technical lifts and drops and turns. And it's just building on what we have in the 101 and the 201. Now, the jump session is kind of interesting. I decided I needed to do that. And Rob was a bit opposed at first. And understandably so. There's a lot that comes with jumping. Like Bentonville is a prime example. And, and Bentonville was, I think, the impetus for it. There's jumps everywhere here. People want to jump. And we can pretend that it's not going to happen, or we could try to do our best to get those people somewhat prepared. And my thought was, I'm going to offer a jump clinic and I'm going to highlight to people that there's a lot more you need to worry about before you're jumping. And I'll do as much as I can. And it's definitely... It's, it's interesting. What we try to do is push people to a 201 first and then a 301 because that gives them about 90 minutes of jumping 
then the jump course. Because then the investment in the jump course, they'll be able to maximize that four hours of jumping. So right now, those are the products that we have. And we're trying to work with people who aren't sure exactly where they should be. Because you know some people have a question. It's funny. What makes an intermediate rider? What makes an advanced rider? And we go back and forth with that. I'm a little bit more politically correct than Rob is. Rob's a little bit more straightforward. Cuts right to the point. Well, the problem is everybody, everybody thinks they're great. And, and you know, in the early on, people pushed for advanced clinics. So I came up with some <laughs> advanced drills. And we got a group of guys out there. And most of them were guys who just came out for the advanced. And some of them were guys who came the day before for, the, for our fundamentals clinic. The only guys who had a chance were the guys who had been to the fundamental clinic the day before. The supposed advanced guys, they, they couldn't do a single thing. And so I got to get, I pulled aside the guys who were there the day before and I said, hey guys, I'm just going to do the same thing we did yesterday because these guys are not going to get it. They're not going to be able to do this. And, and they were cool with that, thankfully. But uh, yeah, part of it is, part of the problem is it's subjective. But what we have found is if you take the, the most experienced writer and you and what the most of the work you're going to have to do with that guy is untraining him from his bad habits. And so those have proven to be the people who struggle the most, especially high level cross country people. They struggle the most. You can bring somebody who's literally been riding a bike for a week and they'll just do what you say. They won't argue and they won't fight and they won't be doing it a way that's not in their best interest. And they'll progress amazingly where these other people they fight you every step of the way. And, and so it, it becomes a challenge. And I don't think either of us anticipated that that was going to be the dynamic at play when we got into it. The fact that we can progress an advanced rider right next to a beginner with tremendous success for both was a shock to me. I didn't expect. So let's go into the weeds just a little bit, because you said advanced cross-country riders. And this is where, especially where I live, I've historically that's at least for the last 10 years or so that's what i've done is cross country racing or marathon racing and and i'm going to go back to this top field because it's the first bike i've owned with the dropper post and i was skeptical of dropper posts early on because it's like what do i need a dropper post for i can put my butt over the rear tire and get down whatever i can get down but since i got the dropper post i don't want to ride a bike besides maybe a road bike without a dropper post. And I've convinced a handful of other people that they need to get dropper posts also, but they don't use it. I don't ride road, but if I did, I'd have a dropper on my road bike. A dropper post <laughs> so, the most amazing so invention often, ever. How often do you guys see that where people maybe come to your clinic, they, they are that advan advanced cross country rider, but they really aren't using, they're not getting their weight lower. Well, I'm not a, I'm not a cross country, I'm not a cross country racer. I don't have a lot of cross-country experience, but I have enough to know that those guys typically focus on their fitness and they don't pay much attention to bike handling. So when, you know, if they're climbing up a hill, see you later. But if the trail turns down and there's some turns in it, you're blowing right by those dudes. And so my thing is, if you've got the fitness part worked out, why not learn how to ride your bike? And there's certain yeah. things that are imperative, yeah. like a low CG, there's no arguing with that. Physics are physics. Gravity is gravity. If you want to argue, you're just a knucklehead. I got no time for you. <laughs> physics and gravity are undefeated. Absolutely. Yeah, Josh, when I, I was racing pro cross country 
14 and 15 and I had a dropper and I was at many races where I was the only one with a dropper and I remember a dropper in a backpack and it's a baggy shorts, backpack, baggy shorts <laughs> sleep, you know. Um, and I remember people saying things about the weight and I would just, I would laugh. yeah, I would laugh and be like, yeah, what about this weight? Um, it just, <laughs> it's, it's one of those things where I crossfit weight. <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I crossfit on the week. I race cross country <laughs> on the weekends. <laughs> yeah, I got a powerlifting meet after this. Oh. Don't look at me. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because once oh, those man. people, and we've dealt with those people so much where they come to a clinic and they're like, yeah, this dropper thing, I don't know what to do with it. And we're trying to, to get them, you know, how much do you use it? Oh, we use it all the time. Well, then a lot of the people that come through our clinics, we become friends genuinely with some of them, but so many of them, we keep in contact because we have a fairly high profile on social media and it never fails. You know, 80% of those people, we get the messages three, four months later. Oh God, this dropper. Like, it's amazing. It's the greatest thing. (laughs) We we told you that. So it's a matter of time. And you know, it's, it's like, Oh, I can't believe I'm going to say this, dude. It's like being clipped in. You have to embrace (laughs) it until you embrace the dropper until you go, okay, I'm just going to start using it. Uh, it's you're never gonna reap all of the benefits that you could from it, and yeah, if you don't have one, you'll never know what you could be doing with it. Yeah, yep, it's there for a reason, definitely. Yeah, yeah. So also with the skills clinics, you talked about jumping. Let's go. Let's go a little bit deep into the weeds on the cornering and breaking side of things. Oh, I love this. I love this. So. And it's funny because when I started racing cross country, as we've unearthed, I was much larger and heavier than most of the people I was racing against. And I was nowhere near as fit. And I knew that. And so my goal coming in was maximize all of my advantages. And turning was the biggest. And it's simple math. You know, any given cross country race, let's say there's 200 turns. If I could pick up two tenths of a second, in half of those turns, that's like an hour, I think. You know, my math isn't great, that's, but that's, that's a lot years. of time. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and that's funny because I tell people that at these clinics, they're like, oh, you're enduro, you're enduro. I'm like, well, no, I, I started racing cross country and I knew if I gained more time through the turns, I would, I would pick up time, no extra effort. It's the whole free speed thing. And We've asked everybody, like we've asked some of the best riders in the world. We've had conversations with Richie Root about this. Dude, what's the one thing you'd want to be better at? Turning, turning, like without question, turning. And the best race I ever had in my life was um, the BME in 2019 at Big Sky, Big Sky, Montana. Nobody had ever raced there. We went there. It was gnarly. I was on my 5.5. I stacked it huge. At the end of pre-ride, woke up race day and decided, I'm going to ride the Firebird 29 instead. And everybody's like, no, dude, you can't do that. And I'm like, watch me. And I went up the lift for the first run and I was not, I wasn't super confident. I was like, whatever, man, let's just have some fun. This place is beautiful. And my only thought was focus on the turns, just turn as well as you can and let everything else take care of itself. And it's funny because I have my GoPro running. I was literally halfway through the run just saying, oh my God, this is amazing. Like I couldn't believe how well I was turning my bike. And I knew not only am I going to win this stage and win this race, I wonder how much I'm going to win by. 
And it was all turns. Like I focused on turn technique and I didn't care how fast I was going everywhere else because I knew it was taking care of itself. And it's crazy because I'm okay saying it's very fickle. There are times where I go out and ride and I know immediately it's not there. And I'm smart about things. Just looking ahead is fickle. Totally. You know, if, yeah. you, if you're not looking ahead, you're not going fast. Yeah. And sometimes you just, you mentally just can't do it. Yep. You know, you're just like, why am I looking at the front tire? And that's for the clinics. I love every aspect of it, but turning is, it's one of the most interesting because we start to add in more layers. And there's some people that they can't process those layers. They overthink it. And it gets very frustrating and we have. Yeah. There's a lot of elements at play, you know, between your pedal position, shifting the weight of your hips, setting up early, setting up late, you know, apexes, early apex, late apex. We start mixing all those things in and people really get, I mean, next thing you know, they're pedal, they got the low pedal down on the inside, pedal striking, getting pole vaulted. It's uh well, yeah. And that's a prime example of longtime riders. We have people come through that are, they were taught level pedals. And what's funny is I tell them, look, we teach inside pedal up. If you want to do level pedal, that's cool. Go for it and see what happens. Try to drop the inside pedal. And then it's funny because when I do or Rob does demonstrations, we rotate backwards. So we backpedal through the turns and we do that on purpose. We do that to get to apex the dropping of the outside pedal in concert with the apex of the turn. That's a reason. Yeah. Just so you can you can come down and 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 multiply your your force with yeah. gravity to get more grip. You know, if you can time that load with the point you're trying to change directions, that's when you hear the sound, the lovely sound of grass ripping. And you can actually come off the ground when you when you jettison to the other side. It's 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 exciting. When the pieces come together, it's really fantastic to see. And it's great when you get somebody with with that adverse training trying to be successful alongside somebody who's doing what we say. It just, we don't have to, we have to point it out because it takes care of itself. And that's the thing that's great about the whole experience is there's, there's all of our background and what we bring to it, but then there's people's ability to watch the other people who are participating, learn and, and be challenged and, and find their way through. And it's, it's just a tremendous experience. You know, when, when there's somebody who's struggling with something and, and people see it and then they get it, yeah. everybody's cheering for them. It's like everybody's in it together. And, and that's one part that I really love about it. That's where it's, it's so great for us. How many people do you, just tip, do you typically have in one of your ride series clinics? This year, it's been like between 12 and 15. Uh, earlier in the year, obviously with COVID, the numbers were really small. But when we actually could have events where there wasn't a cap, we like to keep it around 12 to 15 when there's two of us. We've had events where we push it up closer to 20 uh, and we'll bring in an extra coach or two. And depending on the numbers, like in Phoenix, the demand was absolutely massive. And we had some people that were just begging to get in and we don't get out to Phoenix a whole lot or I don't to do those events. So we brought in more people. So we added more students. But a ride series first, we set up a third jump lane. So I invested a decent amount of money to get uh, another setup of land wave ramps and more MTB hoppers. So it was really cool. I was very excited because 
the location we used there was just perfect. And seeing all of that equipment set up, it just it looked rad. People showed up and they just thought, whoa, this is cool. And we had an Olympian there. Chloe Woodruff was there uh, for that event. So yeah, it was really cool to have her there in addition to uh, a, a, my buddy Ed. I went to high school with this kid. I haven't seen him forever. And a uh, newer rider, like I'm riding for three or four months. Yeah. So yeah, just bought himself an evil and he's, uh, he's doing it. <laughs> I've actually seen him and his kids on the trail recently. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, we generally try not to put too many people through, you know, it's a business at the end of the day. It's, it's a business. It's now my, it's what I support my family with, you know, Rob still is focused on the shop and that's why the majority of the events are Bentonville and Texas based. But at the same time, you know, we haven't scaled up. You know, when you look at the business end of it, I've had so many people say, you need to scale up. You need to scale up. You need to hire more people and scale up. We're six years in and we haven't done that. And well, and the, the problem, we talk about this a lot, Josh, and, and this goes back to what we discussed earlier. You can find people who can ride the bike well enough to potentially be a coach, but, but can they be a coach? Do they have the right temperament? Do they have the right personality? Do they have the ability to see in the eyes of the student, is he going to do something? Is this guy going to harpoon himself? Because if he's gonna, you got to step in front of him and stop him from doing it. You can't, you can't, you can't figure that out after the fact. It's no good. And so it's very important. I, I think it's probably like a chef who takes pride in what he, what he creates. You know, you can't just give the recipe to somebody else and have them produce the same result. And that's where, you know, we've, we've already bumped up to the point where that's a challenge for us to find people, uh, uh, you know, basically to replicate, replicate us. Uh, it's, it's, if you come through with Rich and I, I think you get the full experience because he and I are very different individuals and my experiences are different than his experiences. And we bring something, we each bring something unique, but, it, but they're complementary. Uh, but at the same time, if you came through a clinic I was doing solely, if you hadn't been around Rich, you might, you might not <laughs> feel like you were getting less and vice versa. But, but I think the best experience is when we're both able to be there together. And so I think for 2021, we're going to work. I personally am going to try to make a, a significant effort to be there more for those. Yeah. So let's talk about 2021. What do we got? What do we got on tap? First, before we go into the real ride series, you guys said BME. This is a, this is a sidebar here. There's a BME. Just north of Rich's house this year. We're going to see Rob coming to Missouri to race some BME at Shepherd Mountain. There's, hang, on, hang on. Hang on, Rob. Are, are we ready for a world that's what, exclusive? That's what I'm wondering if now's the time to yeah. say this. We're ready. This isn't coming out until January. So, yeah, I think, uh, I think now is the time. This is, we're, we're going to, we're going to talk about a few things that, we have not yet talked about. So let's talk BME. Rob, are, are we going to be racing BME? It looks to me like we will be racing BME. Yeah, we, uh, we are going to be racing BME. Not only are we going to be racing BME, uh, we are producing right now what is a six-episode docu-series on the Big Mountain Enduro experience. So what we're going to try to do is 
bring people inside what those events are like. And what I like to say is they're more adventure than race. There's so much more to it than an actual race. There's so many different types of people and there's so many different things that you go through on any given event weekend, highs, lows, um, trials, tribulations. It's like it's just it's amazing what happens out there and i think so many people don't have an understanding of that and some people just can't get to those events so yeah when it's done only an hour of it was yep. racing and so we want to showcase how, what what us what's happening the rest of the time yeah we're going to do everything we can to try to showcase that so it's going to be really cool cuz we're going to try to bring people along through our experience not only at the races but prepping for the series um, I'm excited to say we're going to partner up with D. Tidwell of Enduro MTB Training. And so we're going to take it seriously. You know, Rob and I are both going to lay out a plan with D that fits into our lives as a business owner, as a father and a husband. But we want to, we want to be healthy. As a multi time broken individual <laughs> who's aging. <laughs> yeah. We want to be, we want to be in shape because. It's not so much, I think, about going and winning, but it's about going and having the best time that we can to showcase to people what it should be like and performing at the highest level that that we can. You know, it's it's the master's 40 plus class we're gonna go for. We're gonna have some fun, but at the same time, it's a lot of work and and we want people to understand that, but we want people to come along for the journey. We want people to invest their time to follow along with us, not only on YouTube, but I mean, this is going to be a pretty big anchor in our year. So Instagram, you'll be able to follow along and, and really see what's happening. And the coolest part is you're going to see it real time on, on the bikes we'll be on, which we're not ready to say yet. So who knows? Yeah. So what do you... What are your thoughts? You know, so I obviously led that with uh, going to Missouri for a BME. Some people are probably looking at that, going, "What's in Missouri?" Well, it's we we had a we had a, a conference call with the guys from BME, uh, their friends, and we had that discussion with them, and and they have assured me that there will be no disappointments at this venue. Yeah, and and you have to understand. Um, Brandon is obviously the man behind uh, Brandon Onoveros, the man behind Big Mountain Enduro. But Dave Elkins is now a key part of it as well, and and Dave's a really good dude. Dave's from that part of the country, you know. He's he's from the Midwest, and he understands it's not a big mountain, but I think that the terrain they're going to be able to provide will be more than enough for a lot of people. And I think it's an opportunity to expand that series a little bit more and maybe incentivize some more people to try and, and ride it and kind of bridge the gap, I guess. I mean, for me, that's the coolest thing is like, I'm okay saying Enduro isn't Enduro, you know, like Southern Enduro Tour. I was the 2016 Southern Enduro Tour champion. We could call it glorified cross country. I mean, there was nothing really gnarly about it, but that's what you get in this part of the country. And I understand that. And I think a lot of people understand it. But if you don't, and if you fool yourself into thinking Enduro's Enduro, you need to go to a place where there are large mountains, where you're sustaining speeds well over 40 miles an hour, 
and see how you do there. It's a little different physically and mentally in that capacity. But Alex Scott's the one out building the trails there in Ironton. And I've talked to him about it. And he tells me they're going to be gnarly. You know, they won't be as long maybe as Santa Fe, but dude, they're going to be rowdy. Yeah. And, Alex knows what he's doing. Yeah. Yeah. The inside scoop that I got from a, a guy who lives kind of splits his time between Bentonville and mainly St. Louis was that there's about 600 feet of vertical. And I've heard there's some rather large granite boulders everywhere. Yep. So it it's probably going to be pretty gnarly. Um, like you guys said, Alex Scott, I don't personally know Alex Scott. I'm hoping that I can do a series on this particular part of the country or this particular location to, because I know that this community is really going to, they're embracing mountain biking and they're embracing this build to help boost their, their economy in their community. You know, which is yeah. which is always a good story. Um, but Alex Scott, from what I've been told, has also built out the stuff in Glorieta, New Mexico. And so he's experienced. Oh yeah. Yeah. He built there, but he also built the Passion Play Trail mm-hmm. in Eureka Springs, which again, I'm okay saying Leatherwood is not the place to go, in my opinion. Anybody who says, Oh man, where should I go ride? I heard Lake Leatherwood downhill. It's cool. I'll pick the Passion Play all day long. They're just fun trails. There's a great mix of, of flow, uh, machine-built, fun, large RC car track stuff, and then just some rad raw. <laughs> the dude, it's, there's like a, a natural little tunnel arch thing he built. He's just great yep. at combining what's there and using what's there. And he doesn't try to pull more vertical out of what's there. It, he makes it work. It's, you know, it's 300 feet. You can only do so much. You try to wind it back too much and you start to lose it. Yeah. So with that being said, we'll get into wrapping this thing up. I know Rich and I are in the central time zone, which is a little bit later than the Arizona time. I don't even know what time zone Arizona is right now because as own. I alluded to in the email, it's, they have no daylight savings. I used to travel to Arizona frequently when I was, in a, when I used to race uh, water scooters, as we like to refer to them. Oh yeah. yeah. Otherwise known as jet skis. Sure. Have a sit. Oh yeah. I've been there many times in October, but yeah, so let's get this thing somewhat wrapped up. And what do you guys want to close with tonight? Uh, I think, uh, Rob, you want to, you want to talk Spangle, about star spangled banner. <laughs> you want to talk about what's happening next year? Uh, I think, uh, you know, the BME thing is, is really big, but it's kind of a segue into Rob and I are going to be doing it together. And Rob is currently a factory pivot rider. And if I didn't say what bikes we're riding next year, I think it doesn't take a genius to figure out. There, there will not be pivots. Not going to be pivots. So yeah. uh, I'm really excited that Rob is going to be joining my platform next year. So we're going to expand what I've been doing from YouTube, Instagram, all that. And so... I think the biggest benefit for anybody who's a fan or potentially a fan is Rob brings a lot as he's already basically exposed in this podcast. Dude's brilliant. You know, bike setup, engineering, all those things. I'm more entertaining. I'd argue I'm better looking, but I think he's going to bring a lot to the platform and we're going to do some really cool things. You know, we're going to get on as many bikes as we can. We're going to really try to break them down and I think Rob's going to make people look at 
how they set their bike up or before that, what sort of bike they choose. And it's going to be very eye-opening for a lot of people. So I'm excited to help facilitate that, to provide a platform for that. Um, we're going to do some adventures. So we're going to roll out east and hit a couple places. We're going to roll out west and hit a couple places. So we're going to ramp up the content a lot more. We're going to do as much as we can. And I think in concert, obviously, with the Ride Series. So you're going to see some more events in Bentonville. We'll do some more in Texas. And of course, we'll get out to Phoenix. So other than that, it's going to be tough to travel outward because we have so much going on. So if you're looking for a Ride Series event, I think you're going to need to plan a trip to Bentonville, Texas, or Phoenix. Uh, and then beyond that, I think the uh, the ride with the Drew Brothers experience still a working title, but you can expect we're shooting for two events this year. Where probably have one in Bentonville and one in Sedona. Uh, we're still working through the details, but it'll be your opportunity to come out and spend a long weekend with us, see the trail through our eyes and just have a really solid experience from start to finish. We'll work a little skill in there and uh, we'll obviously cover it on the social side of things and then give everybody a cool little wrap-up video. So yeah, that's that's what I'm excited about. A lot more of what's already there and having my big bro on board will be awesome. You, you got anything to add, Rob? Uh, well, I'm just excited that Rich Drew is going to be my new sponsor. I'm hoping he gets me good bikes to ride. I guess we'll see. Uh, I'm not currently involved in the negotiations, but I believe strongly that he'll he'll take care of me, and I'll be on some. I'll be on a solid horse. Yeah, many. There'll be many solid horses, guaranteed. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's it, dude. A lot of uh, a lot of Bentonville, a lot of Phoenix. Going to get Rob out here a little bit more, and try to show him all the the new stuff that's been built, but. Yeah, we're just going to keep doing it and uh, following along with you, Josh. Well, all the cool stuff you're doing, listening to all the cool podcasts. Yeah. I'm hoping we can do another one mid-year or, or maybe you know second quarter. And oh yeah, for sure. Talk about some more things. This has been fun, dude. We could do a we could do a BME specific podcast since you guys are doing a show on that. Yeah, that'd be awesome. I yeah, dude. I would love that. It'd be cool for you to actually come out to an event, get the uh, get the experience. I'm coming to Ironton. Yeah. I'm racing that on nice. my down country. Oh, wait, what are we? It's, it's my trail light. Bike. Trail light. We're going to call it. We're going to go trail, trail light. Yeah. Spelled L-I-T-E. Yes. Be prepared. <laughs> like literally on pink bike in a couple days or after this post, dude, you're going to see trail yeah. light. They're going to change the, they're going to change the title. Hashtag trail light. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to, we're going to get them to change it to trail light. I might, I have been, I have been pondering a different trek since my support comes from a trek shop, but we'll see what happens. But yeah, we're gonna. I'm gonna be down there. You need to get your hands on that new slash. <laughs> that new slash looks legit. That's exactly what I've been looking at. I've, I'm conflicted on sizing. I currently ride a medium large, but I'm the smallest person you can fit on their medium large, and so I'm. You know, we've already talked about that in the show. So, bigger is probably the way to go as far as length because you can always shorten a long bike up get a rail dude i rode a i rode a rail 9.8 oh god yeah that was an awesome bike i had a blast on that thing yeah that's second the second most fun i've had on an e-bike behind a specialized levo yeah well you guys you know i'm gonna encourage everybody to check out in the meantime your youtube channel 
um, you guys do your your Robin Rich online live chats, which are which I've found to be very entertaining. Yes. So definitely, in the, before BME starts up, I'm assuming you guys will have a handful of those out still, and obviously you're still producing content. We're gonna do more of those. Yeah, we're gonna polish them up a little bit more. Probably turn them into a podcast, but. Yeah, we're going to try to do something weekly, I think, with that. Uh, just because it's funny. He and I talked about how we're going to communicate what's happening. We're going to use that platform to do it. So we're going to speak in code a little bit on some upcoming projects and kind of tease people. But it'll just be fun. It'll be a fun thing that people can get a little bit more involved in. And um, follow along on Instagram at the Rich Drew, at the Rob Drew. There'll be a lot more there in regards to like stories and reels and all that stuff. We're going to get a little bit better with that. Just try to give people a little more behind the scenes. I got to get my TikTok going. <laughs> TikTok. Yeah. Dude. Well, what's cool is what you do on TikTok, you can just drop over into reels. Yeah. So yeah, I had a conversation with a, a company, a manufacturer today and they, they said, you know, we see all this. Where's your presence on TikTok and, and Instagram reels? And I'm like, I thought oh. TikTok was banned. I never felt older. It's not. That was just no, something I saw on the no. news. This, this okay. That was propaganda. <laughs> propaganda. This company puts a little bit of value in TikTok, but Reels too. I guess Instagram Reels is the new thing. So it's always yeah. something. Well, we we've seen what Braden Bringhurst has done with his Instagram account. Yeah. 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 Rad dude. Yeah, he was here yeah. filming his last, his latest edit couple months ago and it was a blast. We went out and helped him as much as we could, but just being around that dude, watching him ride. I, I don't know if I've ever seen anybody more athletic on a bike than that guy. The day I recorded with you back in March, we ran into each other later that day. And that was the day that he jumped up the last drop on drop the hammer. Yep. Which is pretty mind blowing for anybody that's seen drop the hammer in person. That's a big gap. It's, I mean, it's a big gap to go down. It's a huge gap to go up. Yeah. Yeah, that uh, when he sh when he told me about that, I was thinking, wait a minute, no, that can't be what I'm thinking it was. But he did it in Slaughter Pen. He did a couple others. That mm -hmm. yeah, the dude. I mean, he's he's a very very athletic individual. So if somebody doesn't think being in the gym will help you on a bike, like the dude was a Division One pole vaulter, mm -hmm. he was one of the most elite pole vaulters in the country. That'll help you on a bike. I don't know, yeah. Rich, if you knew that Alex was a gymnast. Oh, no, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Yeah, yeah dude, if you're an athlete, if you're a high-level elite athlete, you have the potential to be very, very good on a bike. We'll wrap this thing up. Um, I appreciate you guys coming on. This has been a, a, a really sincere pleasure um, getting knowledge out of you guys and being able to share this with the masses. So. Kudos to you for keeping it to an hour and 22 minutes, dude. I'm impressed. <laughs> that guy can talk for a long time. Awesome. Thanks for having us. I hope you enjoyed the Rich and Rob show. Be sure to check out some of their YouTube content or check out their ride series clinics as the best upgrade to any bike is a better rider. Please remember to leave a comment and rate this show wherever you consume your podcasts. This podcast has been made possible by Mountain Bike Radio, Smith's Bike Shop in La Crosse, Wisconsin, and is an Evolution Trail Services production. If you have ideas on future communities or people to feature on Trail Effect, please don't hesitate to reach out by emailing evolutiontrails at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening.